right, friends. <laughs> Isaiah 61 says, the, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty for the captives and freedom for those who are bound and in chains to proclaim the year and the day of the Lord's favor and the year of vengeance of our God and to comfort all who mourn. Even as we're just worshiping friends, I have such a deep sense that the Lord wants to proclaim good news to you tonight. I have such a deep sense that the Lord um, has an invitation for each of us tonight. That you came here and you're sitting in this seat, that you are, um, you're about to receive an invitation from Jesus. You're about to receive a word from God. And the way that we respond is up to you. There's always a choice based upon how you respond to a word from Jesus. So will you pray with me? Will you welcome the Holy Spirit? Will you ask God to speak clearly to us even as we're coming in tonight? I ask Holy Spirit that you would come. I ask King Jesus that you would come. Lord, that you would lead us here tonight. Lord, that you would reveal your face to us, that you would show us the glory of God in the face of, of King Jesus. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would fill me and anoint me. And I ask, Lord, even as we are here together, um, that the word of God would fall upon good soil tonight. I pray for good soil tonight. So Jesus, would you speak? Holy Spirit, we're hungry Holy Spirit, we're ready, we are open, we love you. In the name of Jesus, everyone said amen, amen. Hey, it's so good to be with you guys. Y'all, I'm really, really excited to be here um, for a number of different reasons. Uh, number one, I just love high school students. I love you guys. Um, number two, I love Pastor Mateo. He's not in the room. Can we just get some love for Pastor Mateo? Y'all. You guys, it is, uh, it is a gift to have a pastor who sees you, who carries your stories, and who carries your heart. I'm standing here today because um, people have carried my story. Because the youth pastors, people who knew me, who knew me and loved me, um, they carried my story. Whoa, is that me up here? Is that somebody else? All right. We're all good. So Pastor Mateo, you guys, is, is wonderful, so grateful um, for him to get to be a part of this team. Like um, Nate said, I'm the young adults pastor here at New Life. So if you're ever here on a Tuesday night, we meet over in the World Prayer Center. You guys, it's such a neat group with 18 through 29-year-olds. Um, we're seeing Jesus come. We're seeing the, um, the kingdom of God come to earth. People are getting saved. People are getting freed from addictions. People are getting freed um, from, from chains and from shame. They're coming into the kingdom of God. We're seeing hope. We're seeing light. And we're seeing life. And it is such a joy to get to do that. But it's also such a joy to be here with you guys tonight. All right. Even as we're, as we're coming in, let me just get a vibe for who, who I'm talking to. Um, where are the seniors in the room? All right. Are there like literally just two of you? Or just one of you? I see one person. Where are the seniors in the room? Where are you? You're like, you're too cool for school. You're like, it's, it's second semester of senior year. Oh, you can't make any noise. Where are the juniors? Woo! All right. A couple of you. Sophomores? Yeah. All right. So are you guys the freshmen up here? Yes. Front row freshmen. Let's do it. All right. So good. Okay. Um, let me ask you a question as we get going. Do you remember when skinny jeans were cool? Yeah? Y'all, I remember, like, skinny jeans were such a thing. I, went, I grew up here at New Life in high school, and I remember at Desperation Conference seeing John Egan up on stage with pants that looked like they had been, like, 
somehow saran wrapped to his legs and just being there and saying, I need to do that. The only thing that the world needs from Josh Dillon is saran wrap pants. And I would just take on those skinny jeans. I remember, okay, so skinny jeans were a thing. Um, how about different hairstyles? I remember I was 12 years old. And, you know, I just had gone to my very first concert. Are there any, like, concert goers in the room? A couple of you. Okay, I don't know if you can really call it a concert. It was, it was Winter Jam and it was Toby Mac. So, <laughs> all right, there we go. Way more enthusiasm than I expected. But I remember I was so eager and I was there and 12-year-old Josh is standing there on, uh, in, the, in the stands and Toby Mac walks on stage and all I could see was his hair just flipped into this little point called a faux hawk. Do you remember that? Is this before your time? He was probably before your time. But I remember the week after that, Young Josh had a faux hawk, y'all. Young Josh had a faux hawk. This is this dynamic that we, we see people and we imitate them. Right? Like there's trendsetters and I, we don't really understand. But it's such a thing today, y'all. It's like literally Haley Bieber wears one pair of like athletic sneakers and all of a sudden wearing old person shoes is cool. Like, do we notice this? Like we, we, see, we see people who model things and then we follow them. There's models for our life. And even tonight as we're jumping into the word of God for each of us, this chapter that we're about to read, this chapter that we're about to engage with is a chapter of models. This is a chapter of those who've gone before us, whose image we can look at and whose image we can embrace. And so if you've got your Bibles, open up with me. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be going through the whole chapter. We're not going to read the entire thing, but we'll be kind of bouncing around into some different places. Um, but let's just even backtrack, y'all. So you guys have been going through the book of Hebrews, right? There have been moments where uh, Pastor Mateo and different pastors, you guys have been engaging even with the work of God, right? Starting in chapter 1, chapter 2, how Jesus is this culminant word of God. How Jesus is uh, even this, he, he is the, the temple, right? And he is this true sacrifice and he is the high priest. And even last week, you guys finished, right, with this uh, really pretty intense but uh, but powerful encouragement in verses 38 in chapter 10 says, But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And this entire next chapter is going to be, what does it look like for us to have faith? Let's go ahead and pick up in verse 1. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Kind of quick note on this before we move on, right? We have faith that the universe was created by the word of God. Just a little side note for us, right? When you're reading Genesis 1 through 3, the Bible isn't trying to teach you the function of how the world was made, right? It's not teaching you cosmology. It's teaching you theology. It's teaching you this truth that God crafted everything that we see around us. Chapter 11 then keeps on going and it talks about this guy named Abel. Right, and Abel offered a sacrifice that was pleasing to God. It goes on to this guy named Enoch who walked with God and was taken away. Noah, Abraham, Sarah, these men and women who lived lives of faith, lives of risk, lives of boldness and bold trust. Picking up in verse 13, this is what the author says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar 
and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. The writer goes on and he just like, he just gets on a roll, right? It's like, this is one of those people who just gets like on a momentum and they're on their soapbox and he's talking. He says, then he goes to Abraham and talks about how Abraham sojourned in the land. Talks about Isaac and Jacob, how they blessed their children by faith. Talks about Joseph, how he was in the land of Egypt, and by faith, he said, talk about the exile and the freedom of his people from slavery and bondage. Talks about the journey of Passover and the Red Sea. Talks about the people of Israel moving into the land of promise. Then it goes off, and he says, talks all about these men, says that by, um, that by faith, right, they del- were delivered from the sword. They saw dead people come back to life. They achieved great victories. And then it's like he flips the script and says, and there were also those who were killed who walked, around desti- walked about destitute, hungry, on the outsides of society, of whom the world was not worthy. Let me make a little note for you real quick. Your circumstances do not determine God's pleasure and favor with you, and neither does coming and putting your trust in God guarantee that life is going to feel easy all of the time. But what it does is that it gives us meaning and faith and hope, which we'll talk about here in a second. Verse 12, or chapter 12, excuse me, kind of wraps this cacophony up and finishes with this. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord here for us tonight. There's a lot. There's a full chapter. There's a lot going on. And so tonight, I want to give you a couple different thoughts. I want to present even, if you read this chapter, you're going to hear the word faith about 15 times, 20 times. So it's obviously important. So we're going to talk a little bit tonight about what is faith. What is faith? What is, he, what is he talking about here? Just keep you on your toes, y'all. There it is. What is faith? So we're going to talk a little bit about what is faith, and then we're going to come and talk about Jesus at the end. If you're taking notes here tonight, very first point for where we're at is that faith is hope. There it is. All right. Can I just leave this on? Is that better? There it is. You can hear me. All right. I love it. All right. Number one is that faith, faith is hope. This chapter opens up with the verse, in verse one, it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Right, this word assurance, uh, if you look at it, and look at even what it means, it's talking about um, a, a foundation. It's talking about something that is solid, something that is, um, uh, something that is, uh, is making up something else. Faith is the content of hope. So faith is the assurance of hope. And so what we're talking about here is that faith is is hope. Faith is looking to the future with anticipation. I'll uh, even put it this way. It says faith leads us to put our hope in something. And where our hope is often reveals the content of our faith. Faith leads us to put our hope in something. And where our hope is often reveals the content of 
our faith. Really, the, the truth is, guys, that we all hope in, in different things, right? Even this word hope, it's this idea of looking to the future and having anticipation for good things that are coming. And I think, and something I've noticed, and even as a, as a young adult pastor, I think one of the things that is so uh, coming so strongly against your generation is a, a movement of hopelessness. Right, there's been this trend over the last handful of years um, to uh, maybe it's through the things you guys have gone through, right? Maybe it's through COVID or through even just the upheaval of the world that you guys have grown up in. Maybe it's through even just like social media and seeing different things happening around you. But there is such an attack on your hope when you look to the future. But I believe that Jesus wants to give us a new hope and good things as we look to the future. And the truth is that we all have hope. Right, whether it's a good hope or whether it's a bad hope, we all have hope for something. I remember this one moment. Um, I was a sophomore. The sophomores in there, and there were a ton of you guys. I was 16 years old, and it was just the beginning of the school year. And I had just gotten my license, and so I was sitting in the car, and my dad and I were driving in uh, into school one day. And I'm, like, thinking about the school year. And I was an athlete, and, like, people kind of liked me. And I was, I was driving into school. And my dad is just, uh, he, he'll get quiet, and then he'll, like, ask me those really like sort of penetrating questions, right? And I'm like driving, um, and he just kind of looks over me, and he's like, Josh, what, what do you want this year? What do you want out of this year? And I was just driving, and it just kind of struck me. And I was like, what do I want this year? Right, I'm a sophomore. I'm playing football. Like, what, what do I want this year? And as I'm driving, I'm just getting, I'm just thinking, and I'm contemplating. I'm getting deeper and deeper into my own world, and I'm like, man, you know, I think about the next months, and the one thing, the one thing that I need for my sophomore year to be a success. And I look my dad in the face and just like clear eyes. I said, Dad, I need a girlfriend. <laughs> and y'all, it's Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Is anybody dating in the room? <laughs> a little bromance going on. Okay, okay, there it is. There it is. I looked and I said, hey, I need... Well, sorry, I'm, I'm going to take a pause. My wife is in the room. Ellie, I love you. This is my wife, you guys. She's the best. She's the best. We've been married for seven and a half years. Love you. Um, anyways, we'll keep going. I look, at, I look my dad in the face. I need a girlfriend. I need a girlfriend. And he just kind of looks at me and then gets that, like, that, like, awkward kind of smile on his face. And just he doesn't say a dang thing, right? And then the rest of the drive is just super uncomfortable. We all have hope, right? For me, I was like, my hope is going to be, like, I need a girlfriend to make me okay and make me feel okay, right? But I think our hopes get put in a lot of different places, right? For some of you guys, you might be walking in tonight, and maybe your hope is in athletics. Maybe your hope, like me, right, was in finding a significant other. Maybe your hope is in your grades or where you're going to go to college, right? But these are, these are not innately bad hopes, but what the gospel is inviting us into is a sense of hope that's actually deeper and richer and more lasting. If you read this text, you see again and again and again pictures and stories about these people who are hoping for a world to come. Who are hoping for a world that's fixed, a coming kingdom. We're going to talk more about this in a sec. How many of you guys like Applebee's? <laughs> a couple of you. Okay. When I was a kid, Applebee's was like the place. Like, I don't, I don't exactly know why. But, like, it would come to a Friday night, and my parents would be like, hey, let's go out to eat. And I'd be like, Applebee's. They'd be like, hey, you can have a big special birthday dinner. And I'm like an 8-year-old, and I'm like, Applebee's. 
Applebee's was the pinnacle of all things good in my world and all things good with food. And, and I, I grew up, and it just, just Applebee's, it came to take this, this place in my heart where, like, I thought about Applebee's, and I just, like, I just felt warm and safe inside. It's like just like the leather seats and the way the restaurant smelled and, like, the sip of strawberry lemonade, right? I don't even remember anything about the food, but I think there was a lot of corn dogs and, like, wings and that kind of thing. Anyways, I loved Applebee's. Fast forward on a little bit, and I'm in high school at this point, and I'm just chatting it up with some friends, and they're like, hey, where, where did you go when you were a kid? What was, like, your favorite restaurant? And they're all kind of talking, and then it comes to me, and I'm like, I have one true love, Applebee's, right? And I start talking about Applebee's and the aesthetics and the way that I loved it and the way that it was just so wonderful to go and to eat the food. And I'm watching my one particular friend, and it's like, you can tell he has something to say, and I'm like, don't you interrupt my Applebee's story. And he's getting ready to speak, and I finish, and I'm like, I know you want, some, I know you want to say something. He looks at me, and he's like, Josh, you know how they make their food, right? And it just, like, made me stop. I was like, I don't, I, I think so. <laughs> like, with the stove? <laughs> with, an, with, with an oven, maybe? And he just, like, gets this little sad grin on his face. He's like, no. He says, every single Applebee's, the way they make their food is just in a dozen massive microwaves in the back. And they're all just frozen food. And they just stick it in the microwave. And I'm just sitting here watching this happen. And I'm realizing that my childhood dreams are falling to peace before my eyes. And I'm realizing that something that had felt so stable and so secure now was all of a sudden no longer a thing in my life. It was a moment for me where I realized that something about my world was innately wrong. I was like, Applebee's is not what I thought it was. Right? It's not the place of safety that I thought it was. Now, this is a silly example, but let me ask you a question tonight. Have you ever had a moment where you realized that the world wasn't the way that you thought that it was? Have you ever had a moment where you realized that the people in your life who were supposed to love you and care for you maybe didn't always have your best interests in mind? When someone like a parent or an uncle or an aunt or somebody who is, uh, who is supposed to be, to be a loving caregiver maybe, maybe it lets you down. Or maybe they hurt you instead. Maybe you found yourself betrayed by a friend. Maybe you found yourself on the wrong end of like a, a bad breakup. Maybe you were one of those who even through the last handful of years, right, you were paying attention to the things that were happening in the world. And you, you noticed things, right. You said, wow, uh, racism is actually really bad. <laughs> like this should not be a thing. And you realize that the world is not the way that it should be. That there's something that's actually broken inside of the world around us when we look at it. John Steinbeck, an American author, wrote this book, East of Eden. He says that this is, this is an aching kind of growing. But it's something that we all experience. Where we look at the world and we say, this is not the way that it was meant to be. And we see these men and these women in Hebrews chapter 11. And they're wrestling with that same dynamic. But here's what it says. I'm going to read you two, or two verses. It says, for he, this is speaking of Abraham in verse 10. It talks about how he was wandering throughout the land, but he lived in trust of God. It says he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Jumping on to verse 16, it says that they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. What we see in this chapter is that there is a coming future day 
in which all of the tension and all of the broken things about this world will be made right. And our hope, the hope that we actually put our faith in, the assurance, the substance of our hope, is that one day the world is going to be fixed. Is that one day there will be a world, right, where racism is not a thing. There will be a world where disease and addiction and depression and discouragement and suicide is not a thing. And part of what we do in the kingdom of God is that we look forwards ahead to a day when God is going to fix the world. In the kingdom of God, we don't just hope, right, to have a girlfriend. We don't just hope to have our lives look good again. We have hope that actually the entire planet and the entire world is going to be fixed. This is the calling that we have as the children of God. It's the hope that Jesus is going to right every single wrong. And let me just make a comment about this. I love, what I love about you all, there's a, lot, there's a lot to love about you guys. There's a lot to love about Gen Z friends. But one of the things I love about you guys, you carry this like burning desire for like justice, right? And I love that. I love that. Right? I love that you guys like, um, you like look at statistics. You guys are the most um, like outspoken generation when it comes to, to justice issues. And that's beautiful, right? And that's good. But for our, our invitation here in the church, is to take that passion for justice and to work to see God's kingdom come on earth, but also to recognize that no amount of human effort is going to fix this thing. No amount of human effort is going to make, uh, is going to make the world look like heaven. But we look forwards with hope to see the kingdom of God come and to fix all that's broken in the world around us. Faith is hope. It's hope to see the world fixed. It's also a hope for us to become something new. Faith is hope to become something new. I'm going to read a passage in uh, Hebrews 6, verse, or excuse me, 11, verses 6 and 7. It says, and without faith it is impossible to please God. It's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Let's believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. We've probably heard this passage before, right? This is one that gets thrown around a lot. I want to even zoom in on that word rewards here. If you're like a Greek scholar, if you enjoy the, the ancient languages, this is a word uh, in Greek, it's, it's ginetai. And what it means is it, it means reward, right? Like in this sense, like being given something good or something new. But it also has connections with being remade, with being reformed, with being rebirthed and crafted again. And so we read this text, we see it say that we must believe that God exists and that he actually remakes those who earnestly seek him. Because for all of us, if you've not experienced this moment yet, there is a moment when you realize that the brokenness of the world around you is actually not just on the outside of you, but it's inside of you too. Right? There's a moment when you realize that you can't just muscle your way into a good life, that the, uh, that the anxiety or discouragement or depression or suicidality or anger or fear, right, that these things are not things that you can just fix on your own, right, that no amount of positive self-talk is going to get you out of some of these things. And there's a moment where we have to look at ourselves and say, the only hope for me is to see myself rene renewed by God. It's to see God actually make me new, and that is the hope of the kingdom of God. There was this young man 
Um, Ellie and I lived in Tulsa for like the last five, six years. It was about five years ago. Um, and one January, I had the opportunity to start this like internship program for our student ministry. And so I like thought it through and I was like, okay, I know what we're going to do. Um, and I had like four or five guys show up and I was like, oh, like that's, like, that's great. It'll be fun. And so we would read the scriptures together and then we would have a time to just like share what was going on in real life. Right? What I imagine is a lot of like what y'all small groups are like on Sundays. But you guys, just like plug for those, like you need community. You need people. So get yourselves in a small group, y'all. So important. But we were doing this journey, right, where we would get together and we would share and we'd pray. And I built some relationship with some of these guys. There was this one young man in particular. And over the months that we were together, he kind of went from like being extraordinarily standoffish to being like a little less standoffish. Right, I could just tell that there were things going on. I was like, okay, he doesn't really want to talk about things. Like, that's, like, that's okay. Like, I'm going to love him and I'm going to give him opportunities. And so we go through this, this handful of months of the, the program. comes to a close. And I'm like, great, that was good. Check the box. Like, that was fun. We'll be, we'll be friends in the future. But we're, we're done with our purposeful time together. Fast forward a couple months. It's summer. It's summer camp. Do you guys do a summer camp? Let's go. Okay, so this summer camp was like seven days long out in the Oklahoma sun. And y'all, you just go outside and you just be drenched in sweat. And it was messy and it was exhausting. And by like day four, I wake up and I'm like, I don't want to see your face to anybody. I'm like, I, don't, I just don't want to be with you. And so I kind of like slip away. I'm like, all right, this will be good. I'm going to get up early. I'm going to go get some time with the Lord. And so I'm there and it's already like 95 degrees out and the sun isn't even up. I'm like, good gracious. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm sitting with my Bible and just like being alone and just take, oh, just take a breath. And as I'm just kind of breathing, this young man walks up to me, and I'm like, oh, I was found. <laughs> I was discovered, right? And he walks up, and he's like, hey, can I, can I sit down? Can I talk to you about something? And I'm like, okay. Like, obviously, the answer is yes. Like, sit down. And I'm like, like, what's going on? Like, talk to me. And he starts to talk, and he starts to share. And he starts to even get into different parts of his story. And he starts to share about how when he was young, um, there were some moments where he experienced some really painful abuse from some people who were supposed to be loving and caring for him. From some people who should have been trustworthy were not trustworthy for him. And so he's sharing and I'm listening. And at this point, right, I'm locked in. I'm like, okay, Lord, like I'm, I'm with you. Um, and he starts sharing, and then he goes on and even starts talking about how that abuse that he experienced, that it became moments where he actually started abusing other people in his life. And he started being, going from a, being a victim of abuse to being a perpetrator of abuse to some people in his life. And it was a moment where he shared, and it was like, it was weighty. And it, it kicked off this process for this young man. It was a long journey, and it was hard. Right, and we had to invite in parents, and we had to invite in pastors, and, and it was, and it was a, a long process of a handful of months for this young man. But what he did is he was, looking, he was looking at me in this moment, and he said, Josh, he's like, I need Jesus. And this thing that's been done to me and that I've been doing to other people is breaking me on the inside. He experienced what it was like to be broken by the world. He experienced what it was like to have something hurt him on the inside and to hurt other people. Because you guys, we're broken not just by what people do to us, but by what we do to others. That's the truth. Is that when you perpetrate something against someone else, it actually breaks you as well. 
what ended up happening with this young man is through a long journey of committed uh, work and purpose, you guys, I saw the Lord heal his heart. And the things that he was struggling with, he ended up struggling with less and less and less until he was walking in total freedom. And he was able to walk in forgiveness and even with people who had done things wrong to him. And he was able to seek forgiveness from those that he had wronged. And after about six months to a year, you guys, it was wild. Like this young man was not the same human being. Like he was a different person. Because it was the power of God through putting faith in Jesus that actually fixed what was wrong on the inside of him. As followers of Jesus, this is the hope for each of us. Like you guys, you, you have a hope that the things inside of you that are off and that are broken can actually be made new. You can be healed. You can be fixed. And it's in faith in Jesus. First of all, in this chapter, we see that faith is hope. Second thing I want to point out here tonight is that faith is action. Faith is action. If you go back to that verse 1, right, chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And then it says, And the conviction of things not seen. Now that word conviction can mean so many different things, right? It can mean like, oh, I'm convicted and I've got grit about something. But in this case, it means, it means a proof or an evidence. It's like if you're in a court case, right, and if you're trying to, um, if you're trying to prove that something happened, you present evidence and you say, oh, like, like this person stole the car because the car was found in their driveway. or like, like you, you present evidence and it points to something that happened. So what is he saying here in this moment? He says that faith is the evidence of hidden things that happen on the inside of you. Faith is the action that we can look and see about the hidden things that are on the inside of you. Now, I know we're in this room and a lot of us are in a lot of different places. Like, I know that some of you guys can walk into this room and be like, okay, you're walking with Jesus, right? You put your faith and your confidence and your trust in Jesus. I know that not everyone in this room is, is in that space. And so I just want to acknowledge that here for a moment, right? That we're all in a lot of different spaces. But let me say this, is that if you are in this room and you put your faith and your hope and your trust in King Jesus, then that's going to play itself out in your actions, it's going to play itself out in the way that you live and in the way that you choose to move and live in the world around you. In verses 24 and 25, this is what it says about Moses. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Let me just put it this way. Faith leads us to be recklessly obedient to the call of God. And that looks like action. When I was 16 years old, just before I turned 17, you guys, I, like, let's just be real for a sec. Like, I, I, was, like, I was like a lot of you guys, like some of you guys. Like, I, was, I would come to youth group freshman year, sophomore year, and, like, I knew a lot about Jesus, and I knew that I was interested in Jesus, and I knew that I liked coming to youth group and playing games and eating good food. Like, like that was great. But I found myself in a desperation conference in the back of the room. I was angry that I was there. Like, I was tired and I was angry. 
But in this moment, I start hearing the Lord speak to me. And it created this powerful moment for me, a moment of decision. Where it was like the Lord was looking at me and he said, you can either follow me or you can do your own thing. And I knew that in that moment, if I decided to do my own thing, he would, he would let me. But the invitation was for me to come and to walk and to follow him. And in a moment, you guys, I went from being consumed with my main priority was having a girlfriend and being a good athlete and playing football in college. To all of a sudden, it's Jesus in front of me. It's Jesus inside of me. And part of my story is that I was an athlete. And literally, guys, all of my, all of my desire, I was, I was a good football player. I, I played and I was like, okay, my dreams, my goals, I'm going to be a senior. I'm going to be a captain on my football team. I'm going to take us to the state championship and then I'm going to go play Division I football. That was like, that was my plan. And then I get to this moment with Jesus and he re just like turns my life on its head and I start feeling such deep conviction on the inside that I need to quit playing football. That I need to stop just I need to stop relating with this thing in the way that I had related with it. And I wrestled it out. And I was angry and confused, but I knew the one thing is that if God was real, then he deserved everything in me. And that for me to hold some part far away from him, that it would be to live in just like disloyalty to what he had done inside of me. And so through process, I came to this point where I said, something needs to change. And through some different mentors and through some different uh, even voices speaking in, kind of their encouragement was, hey, there's more than one way to quit football, Josh. says, you can either live with this being all about you, or you can take this thing and put it on the altar and see what Jesus does with it. And so what I did is I said, God, I've been living this way for years, just about making this all about me, all about what I desire. I said, you take this and you do what you want with this. And what ended up happening, you guys, is that God inhabited this part of my life. And fast forward, right, my senior year, I was a captain on, this, on the football team. We lost by one point in the state semifinals, right? We almost made it to the state championship. It was a bummer. But then I'm coming to this moment where I'm about to graduate, right? Like the season had gone well, and I'm starting to get college phone calls to go play. And, and I just hear Jesus so clearly say, that's not what I have for you. Like, don't do that. And there's a moment of, all right, Jesus, like what you have done on the inside of me, I can not, not live it out on the outside because of what you've done on the inside. This is what we're talking about with faith, you guys. This is the kind of thing that we're talking about. A moment that says, what has God done on the inside of you? And how can you live that out? And I know for a lot of us, right, let me, let me just give you even like a penetrating question, hopefully. Right? If you're in this room, just think about it this way. Is that oftentimes, right, it says that faith is the evidence of hidden things. So what do your actions tell you about where your faith is? Are you in this room and saying that you put your trust in Jesus, but then are you going out and living in all of these kinds of lifestyles that are not honoring to Jesus? And if that's the case, y'all, then let's just be honest with it. Like, I'm going to keep telling you things I love about you guys. Another thing I love about Gen Z is y'all don't put up with crap. Like, I love that about you guys. Like, you can sniff through people who are fakes. And y'all, it's like, if this Jesus thing is real, then why not do it? But if it's not real, then why would we do it? So let me ask you a question. If you're in this room, do you think that Jesus is real? And are you willing to put your faith and your trust in it? And if you are, 
You guys, and there's nothing that he's not worth in your obedience and in your action. Faith is action. Faith is hope. Faith is action. And even as we're landing the plane here, I just want to even talk about how God is worthy of your faith. God is worthy of your faith. Let's read this chapter, uh, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 one more time. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When we're talking about faith, let me just say this. You, you have faith in something. We all have faith in something. Faith just means trust. It means loyalty. It means allegiance to something. I remember being a young, um, I was like eight years old, and we would go to New York a lot because that's where my family was from. We were going on this walk one day on this stream, and I was just kind of walking and running and having a good time. And there was this log that went kind of like up this, like maybe 10 foot, it wasn't really a cliff, but this little 10 foot drop off. I was like, you know what looks like fun? I'm going to walk up there. And I'm walking, and I'm like, okay, like, I'm like kind of testing it out. I'm like, let's just go for it. And I do, and I put a step down, and all of a sudden, my foot slips out from under me. I bash my face on the log, and then I fall five feet onto the ground, and I'm just lying there. I literally knocked out a couple teeth. I'm like, what even just happened to me? Not everything that you put your trust in is going to support you. Not everything that you put confidence in is going to keep you upright. And tonight, even as we come to a close, I want to even just share and tell you that the only thing that actually is going to support your weight is putting your faith in Jesus. Like, that's it. Like, that is all, friends. Let me even ask you, even just if you're, if you're here in this room and you're like, how, how do I know where my faith is? Let me just ask you a couple questions. First of all is what do you believe will fix the broken parts of your world? Like, like really, like honestly, what do you believe will fix the broken parts of your world? Like bring to mind, even think, where, where are the parts of your world and of your life that don't work right now? The parts that feel painful, that feel hard. And what do you think is going to fix them? Is it getting better grades? Is it just finding more friends who can come around you, right, so you can feel less lonely? Is it like me? Is it trying to invest in athletics and get into the best college and have this, this strong vision for your life where you want to go? Because the answer to that question is probably where much of your faith is put. Where do you see, who, or who do you believe will fix the broken parts of your world? And then second, right, let's be honest, what do your actions tell you about what you believe? What do your actions tell you about what you believe? Where is your faith? Where is your hope? Where is your trust? I'll even invite the band to kind of make their way up at this point as we land the plane here. It says we're looking at Jesus, as we're looking at the book of Hebrews, as we're looking at where we have come from, right, and where we are going, 
the argument of the book of Hebrews that we all have to square up with and recognize is that they're saying, and they're saying that the only way to life is in Jesus. The only way to life is in Jesus. Let me even just tell you tonight is that Jesus is worthy of faith because he is the only one who's capable of fixing the world and of fixing you. Like, y'all, like, people have tried to fix themselves and to fix the world for thousands of years at this point. Does the world look fixed to anybody? <laughs> no, not right, not so much. Do you all feel fixed all the time? No, like, I think if we're honest, we just have to sit in this moment of tension and say the world is a mess, or feels like it at least, and sometimes I feel like a mess. Right, not all the time, but sometimes I feel like a mess. You guys, Jesus Christ, who is the only Son of God, right? Like the Nicene Creed says, he's very God of very God, begotten, not made, one essence with the Father. Became incarnate of the Virgin Mary, became man. You guys, he's the only God-man. Like Jesus can do this because he's not like you. And Jesus can do this because he's not like me. Jesus can do this because he is fully God and he is fully man. And if that is true, then there is actually hope for us. There is actually hope for the world when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus. Like, do you hear this, you guys? Like, I know some of these stories that I've shared, they maybe felt a little heavy, but what I want you to hear is that, like, there is hope, you guys. Like, you look at the world around you and you feel like it's falling apart. Like, Jesus is going to fix the world. Like if you look at yourself and you feel this tension, like if you put your faith in Jesus, Jesus is going to fix you. Jesus is going to heal every part of you. Jesus is going to heal those deepest, darkest, most fearful, shameful spots of your heart. And he's the only one who can. He's the only one who can. That's why we put our faith in him. That's why he's worthy of our faith. Let me say this as well, is that Jesus is worthy of faith because he's the only one who is truly obedient to the Father. When we look at the narrative flow of Scripture and even of this chapter, you guys, no one has been able to walk in full obedience to God. Like we have all missed the mark. This is just gospel 101. We have all missed the mark. But when we look at Jesus, He's worthy of our faith because he actually did it. Because he actually walked in full obedience to, to the Father. Walked in full obedience to King Jesus. He is the only one worthy of your faith. You just want to like, I want to I do two things you know, as we're coming to a close here. Would you stand up with me? I think for some of us, um, you can look and be like, yes, Josh, like my faith is in Jesus. Like it doesn't look perfect all the time, but like my, my actions, my hope, like he is my hope. If that's you, then what I want you to leave with tonight is encouragement. Like I want you to leave in strength tonight. 
right? Like we read, I talked about this at the very beginning, right? We read stories about models, people who've gone before us. And what they do is they fill us with strength to say that people can do this, right? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a, crowd, a cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance, perseverance the race that is marked out for us. So if you're in this room and your faith is in Jesus, then I want you to leave strong tonight, full of hope that God is healing the world around you, full of hope that the parts of your life that feel unfinished, God can fix them. He wants to and He will. His Holy Spirit will come and form you on the inside and transform you. Right? Full of faith to walk in obedience. But if you're in this room and you find yourself like where I was when I was a sophomore, right, in this place of, like, I know a lot about Jesus and I kind of know the gist of this thing, but if I'm honest, if I'm being honest, my faith is somewhere other than in Jesus. Like it's in some other thing. It's in my own ability to do things. It's in my own desire to be important. Then the invitation for you is to put your faith in Jesus. And there are moments of decision, right? There are moments when we, we actually, we turn. The New Testament, the word is, it's repentance, which literally just means I'm going one direction and now I'm turning and I'm going this direction. So the invitation for those of you, right, who are in this room and your faith is somewhere besides Jesus, the invitation is actually repentance. It's to turn from what you're putting your faith in and it's to look at Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of faith who is the only thing that's going to give your life meaning and purpose and value. Like I promise you guys, like, like he's the only thing that's going to give your life meaning and purpose and value. And that's it. That's it.